Would you stand to your feet with me to honor God's word? We'll be in Matthew 27, verses 15 through 26. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting at the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Verse 20. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? They said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, He took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus and delivered him to be crucified. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Lord, we thank you that today we have an opportunity to see our purpose, the reasons we triumph, the reasons we suffer, and we can align ourselves with your triumphant purpose, and even today with the triumph of whatever we are going through leading up to that. We have an opportunity to do that. And it starts with us trusting, seeing, and savoring what you very really did suffer and why. And Holy Spirit, we're asking you to illuminate Scripture into our hearts that we could see truth and live accordingly and not waste the breath you give us, but invest it for your kingdom come on earth. We give this time to you and ask you, boldly ask you, to have your way in us. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. If you're visiting, my name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs. And I want to thank everyone for joining us. We're, We're in week four of our series, The Apostles' Creed. We are a people called out by God, a people of the word, a a people with a common creed. But the last few hundred years in our nation, as much as there's been beauty in individual expression, in many ways, when we've elevated individual expression, 
over our common creed and our continuity of message, it's in so many ways splintered and slowed us down. But if we as a people can stop and remember the promises of God and really do the hard work to slow down and mine out the simple, overwhelming, powerful truths that those who went before us held dear and clung to with their life and their death hanging in the balance, then we can see the same multiplication of miraculous life. We can see a surge of revival. I say that with trembling. We can see a surge of revival like we've seen in days past. If we would cling, if we would go back to cling to these things in order to to move forward. Now, creed, the creeds that we're going over, the first in our heritage of creeds is called the Apostles' Creed. And we're going through, little by little, teaching what Scripture has to say. The creeds aren't inspired like the 66 books of the Bible we believe are inspired by the Holy Spirit, breathed by God. But here's the thing, how God's used the Apostles' Creed and other creeds. Even as this was being written and canonized and, and confirmed, and we, we as a, a church over the last 2,000 years have unified around it, creeds have served to articulate and defend that which God had, had inspired. And so the basic claims of the creeds, we're going through one phrase at a time and teaching what Scripture has to say. I'm going to ask you to read with me our phrase from the Apostles' Creed today. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. I want to defend this truth from our main passage here in Matthew 27. And just how I go about organizing my thoughts and teaching through Matthew 27 is implicit in the title of my sermon. The title is, The Four Who Crucified Christ. From my view in reading this passage, there are at least four characters responsible for crucifying Jesus. Now, this might not be a flawless list. These are my thoughts, this list. But I hope that this list serves to help you to slow down and to consider this passage rightly. In fact, I want to see if you can see yourself, especially in the the first two on this list. The first is Pontius Pilate. Pilate. Pilate was a Roman official responsible for keeping peace under the dominion of the emperor of Rome. Peace in Rome was somewhat of a tragic irony because what they called peace, or Pax Romana, was actually nothing short of terror. They controlled people, which seemed to externally produce a, what could be called peace, but they controlled people with terror. Anyone who would think or cross the Roman government, there would be uh, almost arbitrarily people hung on Roman crosses, really in front of the people outside of the town where people would walk by and see people excruciating in pain. And this was called Roman peace. Pilate was responsible for a section of the Middle East that that surrounded Jerusalem. Pilate was in charge of 
keeping the order and keeping the, the peace, in essence, around Jerusalem. And he knew that, especially with Jews, he needed more than their fear. He earned and wanted to seek and earn their favor. He feared the people, in essence. And he wanted their favor. He, he desperately clung to this desire to be liked. He was a slave to public opinion. It's really not that much unlike our public servants today. I mean, if Pilate, if Pilate had a Twitter account, the dude would never sleep. I think his thumbs would seize up. He needed to be liked by the people. I mean, check out his neediness. Verse 15, the governor was accustomed, it was his custom, to release for the crowd any one prisoner who they wanted. And so verse 17, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release for you? Of course, emphasis mine, probably an accurate emphasis on his voice. Verse 21, he repeats it all again. The governor said to them in a hard moment, right? He's, he's reminding of the context of, hey, uh, your wife was tortured in a dream. So this is kind of an important decision that might have to, you might have to consider other voices than what you want and what they want. And yet he went back to it. Verse 21, he said to them again, who do you want me to release for you? He was desperate to please the crowds. Pilate acted like a powerless slave when he really actually had all the authority to make decisions. He was desperate to be thought of as innocent and just, and he loudly in jest and ceremony claimed his own innocence. He says, I am innocent, right? You can know for certain that whether you're Pilate or anyone else, your claim to your own innocence does not make you innocent. He said, I'm innocent of his blood. He failed to discern that the ultimate man of innocence and justice had been in this very moment in time entrusted to his care. He couldn't see any of that because he was blinded by his own quest for popularity and comfort and just everything being okay. He hungered for favor and for fame. And how ironic that this man's name is only tied to infamy in all of history. Pilate is forever memorialized in our creed just as a historical, verifiable marker that any uh, skeptic can look and, and check out the historicity of our amazing claims about our resurrected God and check that there's a historical person and he's only memorialized for having crucified the perfect one. This man who thought his, his only goal was to be a peacekeeper became a perpetrator of violence. One of history's iconic villains. And just because he was trying to be a good guy. Holy Spirit, help us to see our sin in the sin of Pilate. Verse 24, think about this moment. He actually called for water. He, he called for them to bring him a bucket of water so he could do this ceremonial gesture. He saw that he was gaining nothing. Riot was beginning. He took water, washed his hands before the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. 
he washed himself of it, thinking that he could, he could kind of just back away from the consequence of what he's done. Like, you've left me with no other choice, right? So, I mean, I'm here to try to keep the peace, and, and you guys just won't let me. It's not my fault. He thought he had no other choice. Now, he missed his purpose as a man. And if you miss your purpose as a man or a woman, you're likely going to feel powerless in certain situations. So he thought his purpose was to gain favor with people. Our purpose is so much greater than that. So if his purpose is to gain favor with people, then maybe in this situation, he was powerless. How often do I see this sad disposition in you and me? Where we feel helpless, we claim we're helpless, we post we're helpless, we tweet it. Because we miss the point about what God is calling us to do in the first place. Now it sounds like this, and I dare you and I beg of you to take this personally if you can. Sounds like this, these helpless things. Like, man, I just don't vibe with the people in my growth group. You know, in this growth group, if we just kind of have nothing in common, there's nothing I can do. Let me help you. Vibing is not the reason you're gathered here. Maybe it's, maybe it might have been your reason. I remember when I went to a church in my first few years of Christianity, I, I wanted to find a church that fit my preferences, right? God showed me that there's a little bit better of a reason to involve yourself in the church of the living God. Amen. amen. Thank you for the amen. Any others? We need to, vibing is not the purpose of discipleship. There's so much, something so much greater. One of the things is James 5.16, confess your sin to one another. I don't care what you have in, in disunity and, and not have in common with people around this room. You have that in common. Confess your sin to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed, strengthened. Does anyone need healing and strength? You can say amen again. You're not powerless. When we connect with the deep vision of what God has us for, we won't project this helpless, poor me victim mentality like Pilate. Where it sounds like this. I I just can't serve my roommate. She's just a slob. Okay, I can't, I can't respect my boss. Do you know what she's like? I can't. I just can't obey God with money. You know, he knows. He knows I'm in a special circumstance. You know, he and I got this thing. I just can't, you know, I just can't obey what he says about sexual morality because, you know, I, I grew up this way and her and I kind of have this agreement and he knows we're good. You're not good. You're not good. You're not powerless either. Or it sounds like this. You know, my wife, I just can't love her anymore. I, she just leaves me with no choice. Uh, she doesn't make me happy anymore. I, I, there's nothing I can do. When we miss our purpose for life, we'll be foolish and helpless. Marriage is not just about being happy. It's about being holy. And life is not just about pacifying the crowds. When you forget your purpose, you're more likely to resolve to be a helpless victim 
with nothing to do but wash your hands to your inevitable fate. And I'm here to tell you that there is a person that's greater than your view of fate and that can empower you to do deeper, more purposeful things with your life. Pilate sinned thinking that all he was there to do on earth was just to keep the peace, avoid stirring the pot. How often do you and I sin in our efforts to not stir the pot? How often are we guilty of what we call peace when it's just cowardice? We desperately want things to remain low-key, right? Like, just chill and, and, and to not get too heated. But sometimes it's God that's heating things up. I mean, God blessed this man's wife with a terrorizing dream that day. Sometimes God will bless us with turmoil and struggle Because he loves us and he knows the path we're going down and we so confidently think we do, but he knows so much more than me. I'm speaking from my pain and redemption here too. See, in moments like these, whether God's turning up the heat on people we're supposed to serve that need our help, neighbors who are supposed to hear our testimony, Brothers who need to hear a hard word about how they've hurt our feelings and God is giving us the guts to have those hard conversations. Whatever it is in those moments, if we try to maintain what we call peace and a status quo and be chill and low-key, if we do that in these moments, we can claim peace, but we're really just choosing passivity. We can, we can claim tolerance, but really it's just avoidance. We can claim innocence, But really, the blood is on our hands, no matter which way we wash it. And this is why it's so beautiful that in our public confession every week, the things we try to wash ourselves from not doing, right? We can confess and release that to a merciful God every week. Lord, I've sinned in the things that I've done and in the things that I've failed to do. The lie of the enemy is that we're just nothing more than peacekeepers, right? You know, like almost picture us thinking that our role, like Pilate, is, is kind of like UN peacekeepers scattered around the world to kind of keep the peace and maybe, you know, offer a little bit of good Western democracy, right? Look, I'm grateful for the troops. But there is a greater army that has a purpose that is much higher than just keeping the peace and spreading democracy in the American way. There's an army of people commissioned with a creed that came long before our nation and will be here infinitely longer after our nation ceases to exist. And we're not meant to be just peacekeepers. We can be peacemakers to the degree that we're truth tellers and Christ followers. God has given us a much greater purpose. And if we swallow the lie that Pilate choked down, which is ever before us, reasons why we have a right to be chill and keep the peace and avoid obeying God. If we swallow that lie, we follow into this place where we're trying to keep peace vainly 
and we're doing harm to others. If you choose the good of what you perceive to be the good of the people over the good of Christ in any moment in your life, you will do evil, not good. Not only to the people, but to Christ. God has called us to be bold peacemakers. And the sad irony is that Pilate, in his helpless passivity, he actively perpetrated history's greatest crime. Pilate crucified Christ. The second entity responsible for crucifying Christ, number two, the crowd. The crowd. Pilate was responsible, but so was the crowd. Verse 20, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. It's a separate message, but trying to destroy something that's indestructible is not a good idea. The crowd was responsible. The same voices that just a week before were shouting, Hosanna, and blessing this man as he entered into the city, right there in this moment, were persuaded and manipulated to shout, kill him, crucify him. You see, even before social media, we humans were very easily manipulated. Not a whole lot has changed about our basic makeup. Now, they were persuaded by the Jews, but they were also, I think, kind of tricked by Pilate. This whole passage, verse 15, 17, 21, 22, 23, he is appealing to their will. I wonder, these are my thoughts, I wonder if Pilate, knowing that God was warning him, like, this is a biggie, don't mess with this righteous man, your wife has been terrorized all night, be careful with this one. I wonder if he purposefully chose the worst of the worst sinners, right? Barabbas, this dude's a murderer, a rioter. He's an awful person. He's the guy that we all, you know, use as kind of a superfluous name. Like, at least I'm not like that guy. He, I wonder if he chose the worst dude to put him up there. To say like, all right, guys, let's make the contrast very clear. Because I've given you the obvious right choice. And if, and if you make the wrong choice, it's not my fault. You see, history shows and God declares Even if that was Pilate's intention, Pilate wasn't off the hook. And even if Pilate was tricking him, they weren't off the hook. None of the people in this crowd could claim, oh, Pilate got us. They did take his bait, but they were responsible for it. Pilate couldn't also be like, oh, you know, not my fault. The crowd couldn't say it was the Jews' fault, the leaders, they knew better. That's why every voice that was responsible for perpetrating the crime against Jesus Just a few months later, after the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ, by the way, witnessed by 500 people, after this, in the Feast of Pentecost, Holy Spirit shows up, overwhelms pretty much the same crowd. And Peter makes it very clear, this Jesus who you crucified, See, they couldn't even say, oh, well, we were just in a big riot and frenzy. It wasn't my job. See, because they lost all sense of reason in this riot, but it didn't mean that God didn't have a good reason to hold them accountable for their sin. And consider the intensity of their rage in this moment. Think about, have you ever been in a moment like this where things get so heated like everyone's stupid? (laughs) I've caused these moments a few times. 
Pilate said to them, what should we do with Jesus who's called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? Let him be crucified. (laughs) See, Pilate asks for a reason. They just give him more volume. Turn to your neighbor and say, we are the crowd. We are the crowd. Do you ever get stirred up or triggered? And you behave in an awful way. You say the worst of things. You wish you could just like rewind that text you sent. And that next day when things kind of cooled down and your blood pressure is kind of like the way it was before, you wish you could be like, hey, you know, it was my, I was in an emotional state, so it wasn't really my fault. But this crowd doesn't get that excuse. They can't say we were manipulated. It was Pilate. It was the Jewish leaders. It was our emotions. They're held responsible I had one of these moments Thursday. I was about to say, this happened to me on Thursday. No, I was responsible for this on Thursday. I, uh, we were playing outside. I have, we have a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a nine-year-old, because we were infertile, you know, so Jesus had his opinion about that. <laughs> and uh, we're playing outside, and I couldn't find my three-year-old. And so I go inside, and I kind of hear something, and then I kind of smell something, and then uh, she is potty training, uh, emphasis on training. I found evidence in random spots. <laughs> so you feel my pain. <laughs> Wish that may, gave me an excuse. Found evidence, but as much as I clean up the evidence in different places, I could not find the source, and I about lost my mind. I just, something overcame me, me overcame me in my effort to try to find the source of the fecal contraband, right? Like, where is it? And I'm like, I'm like, t- I'm berating my three-year-old daughter. Like, what's going on here? And my wife gave me the look from the other room. And I yelled to my wife, I can't find the poop! <laughs> and she said, Peter, she's three. And I paused just long enough to make it sound like I was listening. And I said, I can't find the poop! Louder. Much like this crowd. Crucify him. Crucify him. Why? Crucify him. They had no reason why. They're so easily manipulated. You and I are much like this. One minute we're blessing somebody. Next minute we're posting or shouting. Oh man, communist. Liberal. Thug. Heretic. Using charged words like this, or if the social media algorithms manipulate to the other side, maybe you use words like abuser. Is there a good reason to say that? I don't know. Say it louder. Bigot. Racist. We use charged words like this. In our, do we always have good reason to use them? Oh, when we have questions like that, it makes me just think long enough to keep shouting louder. Maybe I'll change my social media platform and shout it louder so other people can hear my shouting. But in our rage and our frenzy, the blood guilt of our actions and our words is on us. We're responsible. And why? Why are we guilty of this moment? Because 
what's not being said in these moments of emotional rage? What was I not imparting into my three-year-old in this moment? Jesus is not locked up. He's alive and he's on the throne next to God. But the witness of Jesus that he's entrusted to me was very much locked up in that moment. In our moments of emotional rage, we are locking up what God's wanting to do through us to witness to Christ. Pilate crucified Jesus. The crowd crucified Christ. Thirdly, Christ crucified Christ. Stay with me. It was Jesus' willful decision to go to the slaughter. He let himself be delivered to the Roman and the Jewish authorities. And so that, in that sense, he willingly participated. He wasn't a helpless victim. Christ made the decision to participate in the crucifixion of Christ. Notice how in our passage, Jesus says nothing. He had already made up his mind what he wanted to do for you and for me, knowing that we would be the ones perpetrating it. He made up his mind. He resolved to do what he was sent by the Father ultimately to do. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword so that I could bring peace. He willingly was led to the slaughter. John 10, he boldly proclaims, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. You know, Pilate was the man that everyone thought was in control externally, but internally he was a passive coward. Everyone thought Jesus, in contrast, was, uh, you know, like helpless and under subjection. But he was the man in control of this situation. He was fully in control of the legal proceedings at the time, as much as he was in control of the orbit of the earth and the stars alignment in the sky. Jesus was in control of this moment. Hebrews 12, 2, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ made a joyful choice in this moment. It's the moment of lowest humility and the moment of highest greatness. It's a beautiful paradox. Remember what Jesus said to James and John? They were confused about greatness, about their Instagram following. And Jesus says to them, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to endure? He says, oh, there is a baptism that, that awaits me. And my soul is in anguish till I accomplish it. He relates his crucifixion that he willingly goes to, to a baptism. Now think about baptism for a minute. There's a paradox that we need to understand in baptism. In baptism, in one sense, it's a passive act. This is beautiful about our one public sacrament. No one can say, you know what I did? After lots of faith and strength, I got baptized. No one can boast in baptism. <laughs> baptism is something that happens to you primarily, much like faith. Why do you love God? Because he first loved you. Primarily, pa- baptism is a passive act. It's something that happens to you. 
Now, I say paradox because on the other hand, baptism is not baptism if you don't willingly choose to be baptized. Right there, some of y'all need to be baptized. Not again, but for the first time. It happens after God changes you, makes you new, gives you repentance, you're born again, and you choose to undergo this vulnerable thing where you are allowing yourself to be lowered into a water and let that be a sign for what you allow God to do in your life for the rest of your life. Jesus chose to undergo the painful baptism of crucifixion. Remember Pilate's anxiety? I said that the lie of the enemy is that we're nothing more than peacekeepers. But Jesus, with his blood and his willful sacrifice, does everything necessary to become the maker of peace, ultimately. He chose to suffer for us. I love this about Jesus. It's precisely what he suffered that gives me so much peace when I'm suffering. Our generation has all sorts of great ideas, do we not? Like, man, we can do this, we can do that. But so little peace. And I think it's because there's so, such a, a rare willingness to sweat and bleed for our ideas. Jesus, though, he don't just, didn't just have the best ideas. He has the words of eternal life. And he was willing to back it up by willingly going to the cross. And I can trust Jesus when I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. I can trust the person and I can know the person that knows why I'm going through what I'm going through. And not just knows, but suffered a greater debt. And on that, my suffering is put in context. I can trust him. Pilate crucified Jesus. The crowd crucified Jesus. Christ crucified Christ. And not just him, but finally, the Father crucified Christ. Now, earlier I quoted Romans or uh, Acts 2.36. I didn't read the whole verse. So here goes. Peter says to the crowd, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Amen. So you're responsible, but ultimately God is. God has has made this happen, and it's all a part of his plan. He was grieved when he watched his son scourged and the skin torn off of him and nailed to a cross and hung and suffocating for hours. He was grieved, but he was not surprised. It was his plan from the beginning. Isaiah 53, it was the will of God, Yahweh, to crush him. Revelation 13, Jesus is the land slain from the foundation of the world. Don't think for a minute that just because Pilate and the crowd were responsible, that, that the crucifixion of Jesus was some sort of tragic accident that was perpetrated by their sins. God wasn't surprised. This was ultimately the active will of God the Father playing out for everyone. Jesus' crucifixion was the, the choice and the plan of the Father. John 19, we get a little insight. Jesus' conversation with the Father. John says this. Pilate is trying to get Jesus to say something. 
He's, he's prodding him a little bit. And he says to Jesus, don't you know that I have the authority to condemn you? And Jesus snaps back. You do not have any authority except that which is given from God. Jesus knew that this was his willful choice and it was the eternal will of God the Father playing out in this moment. One of my favorite Bible verses that I, I want to share with you that you could receive it and remember it is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an insane trait. God chose to make the sinless one to become sin so that the utterly sinful ones and rebellious ones would become his righteousness. What a trade. God is the sovereign actor in all of history. He, he makes no mistakes. He doesn't commit any errors. His will can't be thwarted. His, his glory can't be dimmed in any sort of way. His mercy can't be rivaled or compared to anything else. This is the sort of trade he makes. Our sin for his righteousness. It's not fair. It's mercy. In fact, it's about as fair as the trade of Barabbas for Jesus. It's about that ridiculous, that Jesus suffers my sin for my sin. And I, unlike you, know the things that I've done and said. And Jesus suffers for that, the just penalty for my sin. He becomes my sin so that I can become his righteousness. This is like the trade of Christ for Barabbas. In fact, think about Barabbas. Ultimately, it wasn't the crowd or Pilate who chose Barabbas, but it was God the Father who chose to release Barabbas and substitute Jesus in his place. And as much as I want you to identify with the sin of Pilate, and I want you to identify with the sin of the crowd because we're responsible, if you're to pinpoint your place in this story, I've had some great preachers help me to see this. If you're to pinpoint where you are in the story, listen, you are Barabbas. Barabbas. Think about the, the name Barabbas means son of a father. Some of you might be a little familiar with this. Bar is the, the name for son of. So like Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon's son of John. And Abbas, is there a word in there that sounds familiar? Abba, son of a father. So as much as maybe, maybe I try to wash my hands of the sins of, of, of those other people, right? I'm a son of the same sin. I'm a son of my sinful father. And as much as I might, like the crowd, want to scream out against what those people are doing in that part of the world or, or that political party, I'm a perpetrator of the same crime. Ephesians 2 says, I'm a son of disobedience by nature, an object of wrath. And God chose to substitute 
all of us Barabbases for Christ to pay the penalty of our sins so we could live forever in the consequence of his indestructible life. He became sin so that we could become righteousness. And if God was willing to make that trade, are you willing today to receive it, whether you've received it before or all over again? If you've never received it, this is how crazy simple and how powerful the Holy Spirit is. You can literally sit here and receive it in your seat. If you've never received it before, you've never seen new life happen in your life, you can become a new creature right now. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Like even now. And if that's already happened before today, and there's there's something in your your life that, that you need to release and trade in to the cross of Christ to receive his power and his sustenance, you can make that exchange and that trade today too. Would you stand to your feet with me? As we go to confession and communion in a real moment for you to have this transaction, I want to pray over us as our kids are being gathered. Lord, help us to understand the, the, the value and the power of this trade Help us to savor what you've done for us and to celebrate in our minds, in our bodies, in our palates, the blood that you shed and the body that you've prepared so that the nations would not be the same as a result.